Welcome to the Jackets Online Podcast. I'm Kelly Quinlan with Jared Hallis from jacketsonline.com. And we are talking Georgia Tech, and this week it is Clemson week. And probably one of the toughest weeks for Georgia Tech every year on the schedule. The Jackets, every year their crossover game is against Clemson. Miami gets Florida State. And if you're Virginia Tech, you play Boston College. Somehow that just doesn't seem like an equal footing, but uh, the Jackets get ready. They head to Death Valley. Clemson just lost to Syracuse. They had a bye week to get ready for this game like every other team in the ACC has had before they played Georgia Tech this season. (laughs) And uh, you look at kind of what it is. Clemson's really good at home. They've won, what is it, uh, they're 13-1 and at night over the last two years. And uh, seven of those wins have come over top 20 teams. And they haven't lost at home since, what was it, Jared? 2013 against uh, the national champions, Florida State. Yeah, so, I mean, it's a tall task. I mean, the only thing that could make it worse is if they had told Georgia Tech they get to play with 10 players instead of 11 in the game. I mean, this is a tall task. It's probably going to rain. It's going to be cold. Uh, you're going to have a lot of liquored-up Clemson fans that are hot in the, under the collar. And uh, as my buddy Chuck Oliver said this week on his radio show, Clemson's in playoff mode now. Like They cannot afford to lose again the rest of this year to achieve any of the goals they want. Quite frankly, they can't afford another loss in the ACC because that would put them down against Florida State. Uh, Florida State right now is undefeated in the conference. And so Clemson needs to beat Georgia Tech, and then they got to win at NC State, and then beat Florida State, and they go to the ACC Championship. So there's a lot for Clemson to play for. Obviously, Georgia Tech has a lot to play for as well. And Georgia Tech, you know, trying to kind of turn the corner here. The two losses this year have both been to, at the time, top 25 teams. Obviously, Clem- uh, Tennessee was a little bit of a red herring. But the the – the whole kind of course of this thing is just really not setting up well for Georgia Tech. What do you think, Jared? Uh, definitely not. I mean, like you said, they're 13-1 at home in the last two years. Last time they've lost at home was in 2013, and then before that it was back in 2011. So, I mean, the, overall these guys are just dominating anybody that comes into their house. And then just adding on the night stuff, obviously they're a, they're a top 10 team for the past few years, so they're – they're definitely a lot more used to the primetime spot than a lot of these Georgia Tech players are. So they have basically any advantage you could possibly imagine over Georgia Tech. But let's try to stay positive. I mean, you know, I think back last year about the game at Virginia Tech. I remember going up to, to Blacksburg and, you know, I kind of knew ahead of time that it was really unlikely Justin Thomas was going to play and that Freddie Burden was going to probably not play either. And you open the game with Matthew Jordan and Kenny Cooper playing for really his first meaningful snaps of his career, and and no Dedrick Mills, and you know you're like, ugh, this is this looks terrible. And they came out and played well on defense, and I think that and and jumped on a couple of mistakes by Virginia Tech early, and, and then sat on a lead. I think this is that kind of game. If you're going to win this game, you've got to create turnovers. You got to pressure Kelly Bryant. And you have to maximize whatever scoring opportunities you have and try to get six on every kind of play anywhere Mm -hmm. on the plus side of like the 40 almost because you're not going to get a lot of shots against Clemson. 
And that was one of the things I even asked Paul Johnson this week in, in the call-in show is just has it been an emphasis in practice to improve that red zone touchdown efficiency because against Wake Forest on our very first possession, we go down, we drive down the field, get inside the 10-yard line, and we have six downs. Remember, we had the pass interference that got us on the two-yard line after already running three plays, and then we still have to settle for a field goal, and that's really unacceptable, and it's definitely not going to win you a game against a team like Clemson. No, and at the end of the day, you know, you look at the way the offense is played and the efficiency of things, and they've been bottled up a little bit in the red zone, and you you can't go backwards. you got to go forwards, and, you know, I like the idea that someone had of maybe using Jerry Howard um, Mm -hmm. in there because he's a little bit more of a just ram the hole at full speed kind of guy. You know, it'll be interesting to see. He's a kid from South Carolina. This is an opportunity I'd be curious to see how big his eyes are playing in this kind of game if he comes in off the bench. You know, this whole thing is going to be really fascinating because it's a real measuring stick. And, you know, you go from a good measuring stick of Miami, you played them to last second and should have won the game probably, to a whole other level. I mean, when you talk about the difference between Georgia Tech and Clemson, uh, and Clemson, it's like talking about the difference between UGA and Alabama or Auburn and Alabama right now. Like, yeah. it is a huge leap up in terms of the level of skill, guys. I mean, I was discussing with uh, my buddy Whiskey Chef Chris Hall uh, earlier today about, you know, is there a guy at Georgia Tech in the in the starting lineup that would start at Clemson? Maybe, That's a good question. Maybe Shamir Devine, maybe Kenny Cooper. Uh, I think maybe Ricky, Ricky, maybe. I mean, there's uh, not not many. I mean, that would start over anyone on the field at Clemson. So right, it is hard to say. But I mean, Presley Harvin. I mean, yeah, Presley Harvin would be. He'd definitely be a starter over there. But uh, there's not a lot of guys. I mean, it's the uh, the sort of weird part of all of this and. That's what it sucks when you play teams like this. They play two every single year in Clemson and Georgia that have flat-out more talent, and Paul Johnson will be the first one to tell you that. And that's where coaching comes in. That's why Paul Johnson makes a lot of money. He's good at figuring out ways to win these games or keep his team competitive. And I will say this, Jared, having talked to the team all week, they are really confident going into this game, and they feel like Coach Johnson came up with a good game plan whatever that is we don't know yet but i'll be really curious i mean it's going to rain that's going to be an interesting sort of subplot to all this uh you know maybe that dampers the crowd hopefully a little bit for georgia tech's sake but yeah clemson is as tough a place i mean in the acc it's the toughest place to play virginia tech's right there behind them a close second i think in terms of atmosphere um i think that it gets a little more lively at Clemson just because of the way the stadium's set up. And then, I mean, of places I've been, the only place that really is significantly more difficult is LSU, like in Baton Rouge. Right. And so, I mean, it's up there in terms of the home field advantages, and they certainly play like that. So I'm not saying that all hope needs to be lost, but I don't think people need to – bring out the pitchforks either if they don't win the game or if Clemson smokes them, which, you know, Paul Johnson mentioned on Wednesday, you know, they better, they were hit by his words, blitzkrieged the last two times playing at Clemson. Yeah. And they were probably two of the ugliest games I've seen Georgia Tech play in the last five years. 
the scoreboard won't say so because I think in 2015 it was only it only ended up being like a 17 point game in the end, but it was just absolutely dominated from start to finish. And I mean, 2015 obviously was the worst year we've had under Coach Johnson, but I mean, I think this year, despite the talent on each side, I mean, like you said, he's always he's always gonna be the the underdog. Georgia Tech's always gonna be the the team that isn't the most talented team on the field. But like you said, again, that's where the coaching comes in and Paul Johnson's strategies is, is proven to win. However, Clemson has been able to shut it down in the past two years, especially on the rushing side. And I think last year we had 95 yards rushing year before that had 71. And we think, I mean, we take advantage or not advantage, but we take for granted, you know, the games where we put up 350, 400 yards rushing, and then it's kind of hard not to throw in the pitchfork when you, you go and you play a team like Clemson, who's got the, one of the best defenses in the country, and you get held under 100 yards, and you're like, okay, well, we're never going to get on that next level. But that's just simply not true. No, and at the end of the day is these things go in cycles. I mean, that's sort of the, the excuse they give Paul Johnson when he complains about having to play Clemson periodically the ACC says, well, it's everything goes in a cycle, and teams cycle up and down. And I guess if Nick Saban ever retired and Debo Sweeney goes to Alabama, which is what everyone thinks will happen, mm-hmm. then maybe Clemson will cycle back. Who knows? I mean, there's so many if ands, or buts. I mean, in those, in those situations, you can't ever tell. But he has a machine going, and it is as good a setup of reloading as anyone has in the country other than Alabama right now. And that's that's what's going to make this tough. But, I mean, you look at the way Georgia Tech's defense is played, I think that's the way they're going to stay in this game. If if it's a game, it's going to be because the defense plays well and they're able to get pressure because Kelly Bryant's made some mistakes this year. He's obviously a little gimpy with his ankle. Uh, Zarek Cooper, the backup, is really not impressed me. Hunter Johnson, his the other freshman quarterback, He's not a guy who's ready to play right now either. So if you get some hits on Kelly Bryant early, you can maybe make this a little bit of a different game. The key to me is you don't want Travis Etienne or, like, even the Feaster kid, like, busting loose on you. And Mm -hmm. that's what I remember, I think it was, like, 2015, the first play of the game or second play of the game for Clemson offense is literally just a left run off tackle. And the guy turns it for like 60 yards. Like, uh, I mean, that's the kind of stuff you can't do in this game. And if they're going to hang, that's what's going to keep them in the game. And I think that, you know, it's really going to come down to the defense needing to play well, play at a high level, uh, not make a ton of mistakes. And you have a really veteran defense other than, you know, if Bruce Short Swilling starting at Mike Linebacker, which we won't find out about until Thursday night. Yep. So, you know, other than that, and, and where's Branetta, even if he is starting or playing or available, is he 100%? So That's the question with Kelly Bryant as well. I mean, and I think Kelly Bryant probably will have more of an impact on the game than Brant would. So like you said, I mean, if you can get a couple hit, big hits on the guy right off the bat, then you give yourself a chance in this game. And they've been dysfunctional, Clemson, on offense like at times this year. I mean, it's why they lost the Syracuse game. Mm-hmm. Syracuse is not the world's greatest defense. They're a very average defense, uh, probably not anywhere near even as talented as a Georgia Tech. 
and Clemson just couldn't find any kind of groove offensively and and Syracuse was able to make enough plays passing the football. Here's where the sort of re- the big issue is. Clemson's defense is struggling in the back four in the secondary and getting guys off the field and they give are giving up a lot of pass plays. That mm-hmm. is not what Georgia Tech does. Like Exactly. So See, I mean I mean Dungeon there's threw all... for three touchdown passes in that game and two hundred and seventy eight yards. And obviously we're not gonna go out there and put up any kind of numbers like that through the air. No, he's not gonna you're not gonna see you know, Coach Johnson joked about it. If they threw the ball fifty times, they might set the record for sacks in a game. Like, yeah, I, heard that. <laughs> I mean and he's not joking, like they the pass pro is not good enough, uh mm-hmm at this point to, to do that kind of chucking the ball down the field. They don't have, I mean, it'd be one thing even if you had Smelter and Darren Waller, but they have Ricky June and it's like Brad Stewart, but he is no Darren Waller and Jalen camp is not on that level either yet. And hell, we haven't even seen Jalen camp throwing a ball to yet. Exactly. And Waller and Smelter both had significant playing time. They, They were both capable of making the big play. I mean, they're both still, on the NFL roster, so I mean that just shows you right there. Obviously, Dylan Camp hasn't been targeted yet, so we don't know what kind of player he is capable of being. But I mean, it's just it's just not going to happen through the air. No, so I mean they got to come up with a plan that works. Clemson's done a great job of taking the pitch away. I mean they just have not been able to pitch the football and get it outside at all. Uh, so it's going to really come down to Taekwon and and the B backs and. It kind of inflicting your will, and can you play that kind of game and make those defensive linemen not enjoy getting cut every play and making them uncomfortable? And you know, <laughs> I mean, I look at I'm looking at Clemson's defensive line. I'm trying to figure out who the hell the Reed key is because you got the Farrell kid is ridiculously talented. Dexter Lawrence is no joke. Christian right. Wilkins may be the best defensive tackle in college football or among them. Exactly. And Austin Bryant's about as athletic a defensive end as you will find. And all of college football. So who the hell do you read there? Like, I mean, that's where it gets like, I like Parker Brown, like Kenny Cooper, like Shamir, like, Will, those guys, but they're going to have their, this is their toughest matchup. They will probably have all year. And, you know, this reminds me of like when techs run into these kind of games, they've really struggled offensively. I think back to the orange bowl in 2000, I guess it was actually technically 2010, um, with uh, Iowa and Iowa had six of their seven front seven guys were NFL players and they mm-hmm. whipped Georgia Tech up front even though Georgia Tech had John DeWire and a lot of talent and Josh Nesbitt and they just whipped Georgia Tech's tail up front and um, really other than in 2014 when Shaq Mason just basically went insane blocking folks they've not had really dominant offensive line. So it, it'll be interesting to see like what these guys are made of. They didn't play well against Wake Forest. Wake Forest has two good defensive ends and, and, and average defensive tackles, and they struggled and looked bad, and Coach Johnson ripped into them pretty hard even in the media about their performance last week. So, you know, maybe they turn it around. They played better in the second half. Maybe they can bring that into it. Uh, maybe Shamir Devine has a breakout game. They're going to need something like that. They need a something they can hang their hat on offensively, and I don't know what that's going to be. like. Absolutely. Someone's going to have to step up. Whether I mean, obviously, Taekwon's had huge games, but, I mean, if we could get him, you know, over that 100, 150-yard mark through the air, 
I mean, obviously that would be huge. Like you said, it's not likely that that's going to happen. And I mean, Taekwon, he's he's throwing some good balls this year. But if he were if he was able to come out here and you know find Ricky June and maybe get Brad Morgan his, or I'm sorry Brad Stewart his first touchdown, that could make the difference. Yeah, I mean they're gonna need some kind of big play in this game, and that's I think what this is gonna come down to, and who's gonna bring it, and what are they gonna do, and that's why they play the games though. I mean, like I said, Virginia Tech um, comes to mind. There's been quite a few of these games with Coach Johnson. I mean, think about the Clemson game in 2014. Uh, we all kind of know how that season ended, but really up to that point, Georgia Tech was okay. They were probably about the level was of that, this team right now going into that game. Was that game after? I, I know it wasn't before, but it was it the one directly after North Carolina? I'm trying to remember. Um, I feel like it was not. It was <laughs> like in the middle of November. Um, give me one second. I will <laughs> oh, yeah, look it yeah, up, yeah, Jared. Um, but I remember it being in the middle of November. Uh, let's see here. I actually have the old Georgia Tech media guide. This is, of course, fascinating radio. Now I have the full schedule here, so I can look up any year. So 2014, the Clemson game was the next to last game of the season. It was after they beat NC State on the road with uh, Jacoby Brissett. Mm -hmm. And they had beat Virginia the week before that. And they had just gotten into the polls. Like, Georgia Tech was like 24 and 23. Clemson was like 18 or 17. And... They wanted to win the next two games. After that Miami game, we finally get ranked, and because I think I don't think we got into the top twenty-five after Virginia Tech. I, I really don't think we did. And we finally did after Miami. They has five turnovers in five minutes, and <laughs> yeah, in twenty fourteen, the Tech was twenty-two and twenty-three going into the Duke game, and. They rolled Justin Thomas's ankle, and he didn't pull himself out of the game. And Tim Byerly comes in and kind of leads this miracle dry, couple drives at the end of the game to actually make it close. But that was kind of a blowout. And then the, the crazy North Carolina game at Chapel Hill mm-hmm. where uh, Smelter scored too soon. And yep. then uh, on, the, on the reverse, yeah. And then you go, they go up to Pitt, and they, they have the fumble game at Pittsburgh, the crazy game where – they stripped James Conner running into the end zone, DJ White, and um, come back, and they caused like six turnovers or whatever it was in the first half. And they it was twenty-eight to zero with nine minutes and forty-six seconds left in the in the first quarter. I only remember that because I was there. There were some Pittsburgh fans all around me, just kind of giving me a hard time about it. But yeah, so I mean, you look at last year. You know, Tech went on their run. Uh, they lost three straight. Clemson, Miami, and then the game at Pittsburgh. And the game at Pittsburgh was kind of the real heartbreaker in that in that thing. And then they turned it around. Um, you know, this year I think it's going to be a little bit more back and forth. With You have Clemson this week on the road. You go to Vir- Virginia, which has been literally one of the worst places for Georgia Tech to play as well uh, over the last see, thir- 27 years or whatever it's been since 1990. I think Paul has the only wins there since the national championship season, uh, his couple of wins up there. And those games were – have the couple games that Tex won in Charlottesville have been ridiculous, like, ga- football games. So – and then you come home, you play Virginia Tech, who's probably going to be in the top 15. 
and then you end the season with a trip to Durham and then a uh, UGA team that could be number two, number three, number four in the country uh, at that point. So it, 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 this ain't easy, and this is a reason why when you see all those like uh, schedule rankings stuff, Georgia Tech is among the tops in the country. On a lot of like the Sagarin, those kind of computer rankings, Georgia Tech's actually like in the top 20 in the country yeah. as a football team right now because of the strength right. of schedule. And that's, I mean, it's a tough, tough go of it. I mean, hell, even Virginia is pretty good right now. So you got to try to steal a game here or there. They got to steal a game on the road. And one thing that you may not think about either is how lopsided the series actually is at each place. Georgia Tech leads the overall series. It's 51, 29, and 2. But 44 of our wins have come in Atlanta. So we've only won seven times. In Clemson, that's just kind of insane. Yeah, and they haven't won at Clemson since 2008, Paul Johnson's first year. Um, really, you know, Coach Johnson kind of was cruising along, knocking them off uh, year after year, especially in Atlanta. And then they flipped the series a couple of years ago, thanks to Dan Radakovich. They played two years on the road, and Clemson, that's sort of when the tide turned, really, um, as Clemson started to get good. And they brought Brent Venables in. And really, to me, that's the sort of demarcation of when they became an elite team, you know. Exactly. Big game, Bob brings his brother back as defensive coordinator, pushes out Brent Venables. Dabo Sweeney snatches him up real fast. And uh, Georgia Tech lands Ted Roof as the defensive coordinator. <laughs> so those are the two parallel moves that offseason. Two, uh, two very different grabs for each team. And, I mean, it's definitely made the difference. Dabo Sweeney's 5-5 five and five against Georgia Tech and, like you said, I mean they've won. He, they've only lost one game against us, and that was in 2014 under Brent Venables as the defensive coordinator. So, he definitely has been the the catalyst for Clemson. Yeah, I remember the old DC at uh, Clemson, uh, Kevin Steele. I remember I found out the day he uh, got fired. I told Coach, I bumped into Coach Johnson, told him he said he was disappointed that. <laughs> that Kevin Steele was no longer a member of the Clemson Tigers staff, which I thought was pretty funny. Because, you, you know, I mean, like when you have success against a guy or you have an idea of what you can do that's different, with Bud Foster and with Brent Venables, it is a chess match against a chess match. A lot of times Paul Johnson's playing chess against checkers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, that's one of the my favorite stat that I – and one of the reasons why he was successful at Navy is – if you don't face this all the time, it's hard to prepare for it. And it's uh, very interesting to see kind of the preparation that, that comes into it because Paul Johnson's 9-1 and one against the other ACC Coastal opponents that he's played the crossover game, like playing Wake Forest this year. or right. I believe the only game he lost was uh, to Russell Wilson at NC State when they came to Atlanta. Um because I remember in 08, they beat BC. In 09, they beat Wake Forest in Atlanta. In 10, they beat Wake Forest in Wake Forest. 2011, they played, I think that was the game against NC State, and they played Maryland twice in a row after that and beat them on last home year, and away. Was, and, last year was Boston College in yeah, Ireland. Yeah, last year was Boston College in Ireland. And 2015, they beat Florida State. And the other couple of wins that were across were Florida State as well. Uh, Paul beat them a couple of times too. So I, it's you know it's just funny to me like that when you 
have that familiarity, it makes a difference too with Bud Foster and, and Brent Venables. And it does make a difference when you have a game plan and um, can can figure out what works, what doesn't work, can try different things, mm-hmm. and you're seeing it up close and personal. Because even playing Navy and Army is not the same thing. Their level of athlete is not the same as exactly. they don't have a Quasar, so they don't have a Taekwon Marshall, they don't have a Cravante Benson, they don't have JJ Green. They don't have a Ricky June like. And even though like we're naming all starters right now, but even if even if Cravante was, was to go down, a lot of fans are calling for for Jerry Howard to get more carries because he's he's not really much of a a step down. No, I mean, and that's the thing. I mean, you get to if you get to Nate Cottrell and Clint, you know, well, Clint Lynch is a bad example, but uh, he, I mean he's a great football player. But if you were playing even, I mean, Antonio Messick and and you know. Steve Dolphus start at Navy. They don't oh, come off the bench. And that's the difference in terms of the level of athlete. So I always get amused when someone plays like Army, like uh, I'm trying to think, oh, Duke's doing that this year. They play Army the week before Georgia Tech. And they have a bye the week before Army, so they're going to have like three straight weeks of prep for the triple option. That's just incredible. So, you know, as we look kind of at this thing, I think that what a, there's a couple other things that kind of st- that stick out to me. Um, a big key in this game will be the punting game, not letting Ray Ray McLeod get going. He can be really dangerous, just like Greg Dorch last week for Wake Forest. He's a guy who's a threat to take one to the house on any time touching the ball. Mm-hmm. They're two kick returners, Feaster and Etienne, are, are really dynamic guys. Again, just ridiculous amounts of speed, so you can't over-pursue you can't get out of your lane, and they've struggled with that, especially playing a lot of kids on the kick coverage and a lot of guys who haven't played a ton, and those guys have gotten out of their lanes and made some mistakes, and that's been tough uh, at times as well. So you know, you gotta, you can't have field goals blocked. You can't have uh, stuff like that happen. Otherwise, you're going to end up with a tough situation on Saturday, and I think that you as Paul Johnson said on Wednesday, you have to play your perfect game in this game. Absolutely. I mean, you got to go out there and, I mean, execution is a, a huge part of it, but I think you do have to kind of throw a little bit of stuff out that they wouldn't necessarily be expecting. Uh, but, I mean, it all really just comes down to everybody doing their job and doing it well, and hopefully they can do that Saturday. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what his wrinkles are for this game, what Coach Johnson's putting in. How Taquan, how Taquan and and the other guys handle those uh, those wrinkles, and really what the defense can can pull out. Like if Brentavius Glanton can play a good game, if you can get Desmond Branch to get off inside, like those guys can make a difference in the game. Saint Amore, uh, Keyshawn Freeman need plays for those me- guys. It makes me think about one of the questions that somebody asks for Paul Johnson, how do we prepare for the game? And, I mean, I feel like his the way he wins games against big teams is kind of a, a thing that we are all familiar with, and that's just you chew up the clock, you you keep their defense on the field for 40 minutes a game, and I, I feel like that's just how – I feel like that's how you do it. That is like option football at its finest. That's just what we're going to have to do on Saturday. Yeah, I think you don't want – the the really the biggest thing to me is you can't get into a situation where you go three and out like definitely not the more of those you have the more in danger you put your defense because they're going to get tired chasing around those guys even if they're not hitting passes and stuff eventually 
those plays will open up if you keep giving them opportunities. I think that, you know, that that's the biggest thing you got to not and not give up the stupid plays where you lose five yards. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you run a rocket toss and it just gets blown up in the backfield for a five, 10 yard loss or the ball hits the ground. And that right. gets into another question that someone asked um, about the rain and playing a game in the rain. And really to, to answer this is having covered the theme for like 10 years now. Um, they, the biggest thing with the, the, the rain aspect of it is they practice in it all spring. As long as it's not a monsoon and it's not, just completely buckets of rain it's not a big deal like they're used to handling a slick football it happens right you just are maybe a little bit more deliberate in terms of pitches and stuff like that and maybe you don't call some of the stuff that requires a little more movement in terms of maybe rollouts and those kind of things with the quarterback you're you do things a little bit differently in terms of tucking the ball uh, really, a lot of that's just on uh, Taquan Marshall. He's got to to be careful with the football, but he obviously got great experience playing in that situation down in Miami a couple weeks ago. Yeah, and he didn't really seem to have a problem hanging on to the ball in that situation. So hopefully it'll be the same. I don't think the rain will be as bad. It, it might not even rain. I, I, someone asked uh, Coach Johnson about it earlier on this week, and he said he hadn't even looked at the weather yet because, I mean, even from now – it's Wednesday recording this. It'll be released on Thursday. But even between now and then, I mean, it could change three times. I mean, you just you just don't know. Even if it says it's a 100% chance, you still might not get any rain. Well, and with the evening showers, too, it can be very different than what you would get at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Like, it might rain all day Friday and Saturday and then stop raining as soon as the sky cools off at night. So, I mean, you know, living in the south, the weather, you know, you don't like the weather. Wait five minutes. And exactly. That's the old joke, and it's it's no lie. I mean, I've covered many games where it's supposed to rain, it doesn't, and vice versa. So I think that uh, I'm not as worried about that after seeing that crap they had to play in in Miami. So I think that, you know, as Taquan said this week, as long as it's not what happened in Miami, I'm fine. Like, he goes, that was not – you can't play football in that, but you can play football in, in some rain. And let's be honest, all these kids – you know, most of them grew up in Georgia, South Carolina, Florida. They sure as hell have played a lot of football in bad weather. I mean, if you're Jake Stickler from Manatee down in South Florida, you played in crap weather. You know, Taquan was at Harris County. Um, you know, Cravante Benson was at Marietta High School. J.J. Green down at Kingsland. You don't think J.J. Green played in crappy weather his entire right. career in high school? So, I mean, these, it's not like these kids are from, like, the desert in Arizona, and they're playing in. The, if Arizona is going to Clemson and it's raining, that's a problem for them. Like, they're not used to that. But these guys are, so I, I don't think it's a, as big a deal. Um, another question from our friend Rob was, honest opinion on the offense: Have we truly regressed in the passing game, particularly pass protection by the offensive line, or is it just that the offense has had so much success elsewhere? What do you think, Jared? Um. I'd say probably a little bit of both. I mean, Taekwon hasn't been able to throw those 10, 15, even sometimes 20 pass games where Justin Thomas was able to later on in his career. We haven't really seen that out of Taekwon yet. So we don't really know what he's capable of. And obviously, I mean, they're doing a great job. Uh, Cravante mentioned it this week. He, uh, Him and him and Taekwon are the only two backs in the ACC averaging over 100 yards a game. So, I mean, they're without a doubt, they're having a lot of success running the ball. 
But I don't know if we're necessarily taking a step backwards in the passing game. I mean, we're cer- we certainly haven't moved forward from as far as we know, but I'm not ready to say that we're, we can't be as good as we have been. No, and part of it, too, is, like, um, the there's guys banged up. Like, Clint Lynch is probably the second-best receiver on the team. Clint Lynch is playing at 80%, maybe. Mm-hmm. And that might be generous. You know, Quay Cersei hasn't hasn't gotten the gotten involved as much as you would like to probably see him in the passing game. But here's the other part of it, and Taquan's talked about this himself. He's having issues with arm slot and getting used to throwing the football, and he's that's something he struggled with all along. Like that was part of uh, the concern with him playing quarterback in the first place. He's not going to be Justin Thomas in terms of throwing exactly. the football. So he's sailing some balls. He's got to figure out, and it's something that he's got to figure out for himself, quite frankly, because if it just happens naturally, then he's got to adjust the way he delivers a football a little bit. If his arm slot's naturally going to be a little sloppy, then maybe you've got to take a little touch off the ball, and that's something he'll figure out over time. I think that that's you know been part of the problem. He's sailed some deep throws that have been there. I think about... I can think about three or four balls if he throws it or if he sees the guy, it's a touchdown. Think about the two-point conversion the other day against Wake Forest. Mm-hmm. He's running um, to his left. He rifles the ball to Clint Lynch rather than putting a little touch on it. But the reality is he doesn't see, if he looks you know, a couple feet to his left, Brad Stewart's by himself. And right, just, and that's just part of it. Pitch being... and catch. And that's, yeah, that's game reps, that's live reps, and... The one thing that Justin was really good at was he was a really talented football quarterback, like all-around quarterback. And he had good field vision. He could run the ball. He knew when he 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 just he was good at making the right reads, whether it was passing or, or running. And Taquan is better at something that Justin sucked at, which is Taquan is better at when the pocket sets up for him. It's sitting in it and going through his reads. And he may sail the throw a little bit, but he's able to find guys open. Think about the touchdown pass he had to J.J. Green earlier this year in the back of the end zone. Mm-hmm. He's That's like his third or fourth read on that play. He goes right. through his progression, it's, 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 sees it, puts it in a tight window. And I think that what he seems to be struggling with right now is, uh, you know, kind of figuring out how to make those deep throws the, and putting in air, enough air under the ball while not putting too much. There's a lot of stuff that comes with all that, and Justin was really good at it. Mm-hmm. And there was a reason why, you know, Nick Saban thought about playing him at quarterback, considered it. There's that he was that talented of a quarterback. Now the difference with Taquan and Justin Thomas is Taquan Marshall will run straight north south between the tackles. Well, you know, fully willing to take whatever hit comes his way. Justin right. was not that kind of runner. He didn't like being hit like that. He mm-hmm would dance and move outside and, and really pitch the ball a little more quickly. He was not as interested in, in that inside running game, was not that t- style of runner, quite frankly. And that's not a knock on Justin. They're two different qu- types of quarterbacks, and they both can be successful in this offense, as we've all seen. But I think that's the difference. Taquan is much more like the traditional Paul Johnson quarterback um, over the years. And I think if he can figure out his arm – his arm thing I think that he has a chance to be really efficient and the other thing that I've appreciated so far and knock on wood here is 
he has not turned the ball over throwing it. You actually knocked on wood, didn't you? Yes, I did. I knocked <laughs> on my big giant wooden desk. Um, I, you know, I've been really impressed with that. Like most guys in his situation, turn the ball over. Like, I mean, yeah. I think about even. And I love Tevin. Tevin's a great kid, and I say he's a kid now. Hell, he's a GA and probably close to being an assistant coach somewhere in college football, but. Tevin would throw some real dogs, and he'd tell you that now. I mean, he he had some clunkers uh, in terms of passes, and you don't really see that as much from Taquan. So I think that, uh, you know, we need to kind of see more of the body of work in terms of the passing game. I, I mean, they beat the tar out of North Carolina and Pitt, and mm-hmm. there really wasn't much of a reason to pass. I think he looked okay in the first part of the Wake Forest game. They came out and threw the ball quite a bit the pass protection was garbage and that's why they stopped throwing the football because paul johnson was like i don't want to see this guy he got sacked three times in the game people don't realize that either so he would have had he threw what 11 times last week i think it was 5 of 11 or something like that so really it was 5 of 14 because the other and so that puts you right on sort of the average of where justin was in terms of passing the football 15, maybe 20 times at the most. Um, mm-hmm. there, and there were games where Justin threw two passes, too. People don't realize that. Like, yeah, he threw three ball In his second ever start against Tulane, he only threw three passes for 15 yards. So I mean, we just got to give it time. It's definitely not something that I think we'll see this week. I mean, it's not something that if I was the coach, I'd want to experiment against a team like Clemson. Uh, it's just something that's going to come, like you said, with game reps, practice reps, and it'll it'll come. I'm not worried about it. I think. Yeah, I don't think we're going to see the Hawaii offense from the year, you know, 1987 or whatever when Paul was there doing the air raid. So I think this will be a different kind of, of game this week. And it'll be interesting to see what happens at 8 o'clock on, uh, in Death Valley on ABC. On most most people listening to this will be National Broadcast with Chris Fowler and Kurt Herbstreet. And what do you see needing to happen on Saturday for Tech to win? Uh, kind of just like I said earlier, I mean, I think you need to just go in there, everyone do their assignment, do their job well. Uh, I mean, obviously, I, you need everybody to put in 150, 200% against a team like Clemson. Uh, go in there, hang on to the football, hang on to it for the majority of the football game. Don't give their playmakers a chance to get on the field. Uh, I mean, if you're Presley Harvin, same, same thing. You want to try and pin them back as deep as you can. Um, and he he touched on it. I mean, his one of his goals for the season is just to to get some more hang time on the ball, to get some more fair catches, and that'll definitely help out the defense. And I, if we see that happen on uh, Saturday in all aspects of the game, I think I think we could win the game. Yeah, I mean, I think for Georgia Tech to win, they need to 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 really play good defense and and maximize their opportunities on offense, and not screw up the kicking game and not give cheap points up that way. So. You know, it'll be it's a tough task. It's a, an uphill battle, but it's if they play well, even if they don't win, I think that bodes well for the rest of the season. So, for Jared, I'm Kelly Quinlan, and uh, Jared, uh, any last words for the Tech fans? Uh, tickets are dropping, so if you haven't got them yet, the prices are getting actually surprisingly low. So, if you are considering going to the game, uh, be sure to be sure to do that because the tickets are actually a really good price right now. Cool. Uh, so. We'll say adieu and we'll see you next week on the Jackets Online podcast.